0: This podcast is sponsored by g 15, RMA's Governance, Compliance, and Operational Risk Virtual Conference, June 7th to 10th. The conference will provide valuable content and peer sharing in today's complex environment with a stacked lineup of industry experts covering topics including culture, PPP litigation, climate risk, DEI, AI and machine learning, re-entry in the wake of the pandemic, and much more. For more information and to register, visit www.rmahq.org G-C-O-R. Welcome to RMA's podcast series. I'm Linda tuck Chapman, CEO of Third Party Risk Institute, and this is the third of three podcasts on third-party concentration risk, and this one is focused on key risk indicators, or KRIs. So first of all, I just want to say that without uh, the types of uh, data that we've, I've covered off in the previous two uh, podcasts, I don't think you'd really have enough information to have any insight on third-party and fourth-party concentration risk. So that's really quite essential as a foundation. And second, I'd also like to thank the members of the RMA's Third-Party Risk Management Roundtable who contributed their information about key risk indicators for third-party concentration risk. So if you haven't done this yet, hey, you're not alone. There is not much out there today, uh, and I would expect that'll change over the next couple of years. But having said that, the only KRI we had come up with as a, as a roundtable was just a couple of years ago on geographic concentration risk. And I've not really seen much activity in this, level, in this uh, area since then. But you can see this is rapidly changing because I actually have something to talk about today. So I'm going to cover off four types of activity or sort four types of third party concentration risk. The first being activity and entity, which are not exactly the same thing, but close enough to talk about them as one. The second would be geographic concentration risk. Third, fourth party concentration risk. And last but not least is cloud concentration risk. So, the types of things that uh, that in, that organizations are measuring really are focused on the percentage of high risk contracts that are contracted to a single legal entity, and quite often the fact that you 're talking about entities it does cover activities activities actually could be a separate uh, item if in fact you 're looking at outsourcing entire uh, uh, end end uh, processes or most of it to a multitude of third parties, but quite often it comes into activity level, concentration risk is often, often uh, concentrated with one entity or, or a very small number of entities. And that's why I've combined them here. So when you're looking at concentration risk, which is really just, it's just another way of saying a lot of eggs in one basket, this percentage of high risk contracts contracted to a single legal entity or a single third party is really what's driving this risk. So the types of things that people are measuring is the number of active products and service engagements across maybe the top three or perhaps uh, two or more critical processes uh, with, a with a with in this case, an annual spend of over a half a million with a single third party. Some people are putting spend in there as your first lens, top 10 spend, plus, plus. And uh, other types of things they're looking at are you know, de facto in is is also maybe put a lens on the on the risk rating of the services for, uh, for that the entities are providing, and the entities themselves. So this is all about looking at exposure to, uh, services to a single entity, exposure of services to for critical and high risk uh, uh, relationships, and exposure exposure of of uh, third parties to a single specific service category. So you can refer to the white paper that's been published by RMA for more details, but I think that basically you should look at your own organization because everybody is runs things differently or slightly different businesses, slightly different view of the world in, in terms of what's outsourced and what's not. But these are the types of things that uh, people are beginning to look at. So really the, the, the focus is single entity and the metrics are really not well established yet, but those are some indicators that you might wanna consider. The second type of third-party concentration risk is geographic, and this is probably a little bit easier to wrap your arms around because there's something specific to, uh, to look at. So what you should consider is uh, production locations, uh, service delivery locations. If you can, throw in material subcontractors, your fourth-parties. Uh, which assumes, of course, you have data about <laughs> about what they're doing and where they're, where they're delivering services from. But don't forget to include your recovery locations. So if there's a hot backup site or a cold backup site or a disaster recovery site, you really do need to consider it for your um, geographic concentration risk because that will give you a much more accurate picture of what could happen if there's a risk event in a particular geography. And those risk events often come from uh, maybe geo geopolitical, so in the, in terms of pandemic we 've got these sort of rolling shutdowns. You could also have weather events, severe weather events that affect uh, regions. We see a lot of that in the Philippines and up and down the the west or the east coast. So these are things to consider so I do note that uh, of the input that i 've had from the sector, it really focuses on on uh, outside of the u s or outside of the home country. Uh, where the business is located. And I would suggest actually maybe broaden your focus and really look at geographic risk, risk in terms of where services are being delivered from, period. Because uh, you can get high levels of concentration risk in uh, in, the same, you know, in the domestic U.S. or Canada or whatever. So uh, so when you're looking at this, you want to keep in the back of your mind as well, country risk, right? The higher the country risk, the more attention you should pay pay to this and whether or not there are, it have ever been geopolitical concerns. I mean, I once worked for a bank where our bank in a certain country was nationalized because that was just the kinds of things that happen when you have political changeover. So, anyhow, so, uh, so basically it's production locations, service delivery locations, recovery locations, and try to bring in those material subcontractors or fourth parties. So, we actually have seen some specific metrics in this. And so one of the ones I've seen suggested is five or more critical or high-risk production uh, locations. Uh, And and basically, you want to think about, like, what is the region you're looking at? It could be a whole country, but that's probably not going to give you enough data. You might want to get down to a circumference from a major city, maybe 75 miles or something like that. Now there are some metrics in here that are percentages, and I, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't think percentages are necessarily the way you wanna go because your uh, your footprint in terms of your extended enterprise is constantly changing. I think you might wanna get it a little bit more, uh, more firm boundaries, because don't forget, you may or may not treat the, the concentration risk, you just wanna know it's there. So the next type is fourth party concentration risk. And as I mentioned before, it's really important that you you understand what you're looking for and that your third parties know which type of fourth parties you you actually want in scope. And the best way to do that is to work with your general counsel and come up with a definition of what is material. What is a material subcontractor? Include that in your contracts and also in your due diligence so that the information you're getting from your third parties is, uh, is helping you to have an accurate picture because they probably don't understand what you're asking for if you don't do that. So once again, the material uh, subcontractors, you're going to look at the same things, production locations, service delivery locations, and recovery locations. So uh, I would suggest that as you're looking at fourth-party concentration risk, I'll be honest with you, I I personally wouldn't make this a separate metric. I would include this data with your third-party concentration risk and look at it from that perspective, because you'll actually get a much better view of the world if you're able to look across your extended enterprise in terms of third and fourth parties combined. Quite often, those material fourth parties are also your uh, third party or they're, they're, and or they're used by many of your third parties. So it's going to give you a, a lot better view of the world who you're actually doing business with. And last but not least is cloud concentration risk. Now a lot of people are not really tracking cloud and uh, it might be because their corporate strategy is to deal with just one or two of the big guys. But quite truthfully just about everything that you do with your third and fourth parties involves a cloud component. And it's really important to understand where you are acquiring cloud services directly and indirectly. And that means, once again, doing your homework, doing due diligence, and asking the right questions. But you have to know where your data is these days. It's just essential. So when you're looking at your cloud concentration risk, you want to basically, once again, we're not seeing a lot of of data here in terms of KRIs. But if you can look and see which, um, you know, what, what's being uh, serviced by the cloud providers, and you particularly want to have a close look at exposure by business line, exposure along risk lines in terms of you know, how risky are the products or services and the cloud provider because they're not all top tier, and what data do they have, how much of it, how sensitive is it, and, um, and, and are you okay with that. So these are examples of KRIs, and as I said, you know, if you are not there yet, you are certainly not alone. We, we really didn't get much input from the sector on this, and I'll be honest with you, KRIs in the world of third-party risk management, generally speaking, are quite nascent. So if you're not there yet, you know, maybe read the white paper and see if you can glean something that you can make use of. So once again, I'm Linda Tuck-Chapman, and I want to thank you for joining me on RMA's podcast series.